All right, this is Jared with Lefty's Prison Rifle Podcast, episode 22. I got Mike back again. I wanted to start putting him on the payroll, which doesn't pay very good, Mike. I'm warning <laughs> you now. But uh, we'll talk about some gear, where, we, where we've been, what we've had, and kind of uh, how we got to what we're shooting now. We've had some some gear in common, it sounds like, so we'll get to that. So what have you been up to, Mike, since we talked last? Uh, it's cold outside, so... We're in the Midwest. Both of us are in the Midwest, so it's frozen. A couple of couple of the counties are doing rolling blackouts and all that good stuff. So uh, I'm indoors. <laughs> yeah, same here. We yeah, we were just talking about that. I was telling you how I reloaded 400 pieces of brass today because I didn't have anything else to do and already got my chores outside done. So yeah, if there's inside stuff, I've been doing it. I've knocked out my honeydew list and everything else. So. Yeah, the only thing I've been working on with the 3D printer is um, trying to copy the same idea that uh, MPA had for some some side rails that uh, add some width to your forend. So theoretically, when you set it down into a, a gamer bag or a game changer or something like that, that surface area should theoretically help add some st- stability. So I'm pretty much copying their idea, but I'm going to try to apply it to my MPA chassis and see how it works i got it printed it's mounted on there looks like it'll it'll work like it's supposed to everything's fitting for the most part like it's supposed to but it's too cold to try it out so maybe in a later episode we'll follow up on that yeah yeah i need to if i have you on i need to ask you what you've been up to this like you're you're printing or building or making something every time i talk to you definitely but keep keep that rolling see what you got updating but uh yeah Let's see. What do we, uh, let's start with, we both at least started, I think, or have had MPA chassis at one point. So we'll start there. Yeah. Just let's do a, do a reminder. What are you shooting now? Well, right now my primary uh, rig is uh, MPA. uh, I'm sorry. MDT ACC uh, chassis with the, 737R action from a impact proof research uh, steel barrel, not the uh, carbon. We've got a Harrell's um, muzzle brake on there, which is a little bit different. Uh, for the glass, I've got the Leica PRS with the PRB reticle, and then the Bixen Andy Taxport 2 uh, two stage for my my trigger in there. That's uh, I think those are the big components anyway. Then I've got it's bedazzled with a bunch of 3D printed parts. So <laughs> bedazzled. That's one yeah. way to put it. Yeah. So so you stuck with the chassis. So just let's hear your side of the story. You started with the MPA or had an MPA one time. Now you're at the MDT. What did well, you like? What'd you dislike? Why'd you you still so the I, chassis? So it's something I still have I still have the MPA. And actually my MPA is uh, on the bottom or attached to a savage action, which is a little bit different. Um, pretty much I bought one of those Savage 12 FVs on sale. I think, uh, there's a rebate that goes, it's a recurring rebate on, uh, I think it's Cabela's maybe, um, one of the big vendors. I think I got it for 350 or something like that. It was yeah, a two, two, three for 350 bucks. I wouldn't suggest anyone go the same Avenue. I went because <laughs> it looks like you're going to save money in the long run but 
I just bought it because it was a cheap 20, uh, 223 and I wanted a 223. Um, and it's one of those things where you, you have it and then you start adding parts to it and adding parts to it and adding parts to it. And then before you know it, you got pretty much a fully upgraded rifle. Um, so I got that Savage 12 FV and I had a, I already had a bunch of Savage parts laying around anyway. So any quote unquote upgrades that I were going to, was going to do to it were things that I had in inventory. Um, and then I was deployed and I ran into a pretty good deal on an MPA uh, BA chassis for the Savage 12 FV. So I picked it up and then after I came back from my deployment, mounted it in there and I still run it. I mean, I, the, the 223 is a trainer rig. Obviously, I don't use it for, for matches or anything like that. Um, but I, I still run it to this day. I actually, there's a lot of things I like about it. Um, as far as if I was going to switch to it from a tournament rig, it'd probably be in my top three uh, choices for it. If someone asked me, well, if you could run anything, what would you, what would you run? Uh, it's, it'd definitely be in my top three. I, I like it a lot because it's highly modular. And I think the company's done a really good job with uh, even as they update the chassis, like all the attachments for the most part, they keep your purchase that you made five years ago relevant to today. You know, yep. there's a lot of uh, chassis out there that you bought it a year ago and the company's coming out with a new one and really maybe your grip transfers over and that's about it. I like MPA a lot because they do a lot of accessories, which kind of makes them stand out. And, uh, you know, I know quite a few people that have a MPA chassis that they bought five years ago and it's just as relevant as it was, well, maybe not five years ago, but three years ago, four years ago, you know, and they really haven't lost anything uh, from a purchase that old, which is, I think that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Um, Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, as far as a, you know, just a functionality standpoint of it, I think it's, it does everything you want in a chassis, you know, it does it very well. So uh, yeah, that's all I got about the MPA so far. <laughs> yeah. That's basically the same with mine. I built my first rifle with an MPA because that's, I talk about it on here. I kind of tried to build mine around, um, Mike Beamers, because that's one of the first customs I'd shot. He really helped me out when I first started. He had an MPA and a Curtis Action. I just basically built it off him and everything you said. Modular, you can hang weights off. You can hang about anything off those weights. They have all sorts of accessories, like you said, attachments. Um, I like the thumb shelf. Like, everything about it, I liked. <clears throat> In fact, yeah. all the chassis. I've since, I had two of them, I sold them. I have a, I'm shooting a foundation now, which took me a little bit of getting used to. I, I love it. But like you said, I, if I was to shoot a chassis or someone had one as a backup rig, I would not hesitate to shoot the MPA. Yeah, I like the MPA. So I think MP, what stuck out with me when MPAs first came out was, you remember, remember that barricade system? Um, yeah, the barricade had. blocks. Yeah, yeah, I think they were pretty. 
I want to say, I mean, if they weren't the first, they were definitely the most prevalent company when those first came out. And it's kind of interesting to see where the market has gone and how that company kind of keeps up. Because when that barricade system came out, I mean, there's quite a few people running versions of barricade blocks, et cetera, et cetera. And for the most part, the matches that I go to, I don't really see anybody run barricade blocks anymore. Uh, I think the tournaments and stuff for the most part of people have gotten just used to using a bag because it's yeah. a little bit quicker and a lot more adjustable. And I, I had a couple cases where those, I had uh, various versions of the barricade blocks and once in a while it actually gets you in trouble, you know, they're really good when, when they're set correctly for the barricade you're encountering, they can be really, really quick, but there was a couple times where they weren't adjusted correctly for me and the time to make the adjustment, it just, it, it was too gangly to, to get it done quickly. But yeah, I mean, just, be, but MPA is one of those companies where, yeah, they, they were the bit, probably one of the bigger ones with the barricade blocks and a lot of people have adjusted away from the barricade blocks, but that chassis is still just as relevant because they're always coming out with new cool hip things uh, to, to keep up in the tournament scene. You know, now they have those, um, those side rails that I was talking about earlier that add a little bit more width and surface area for, to run on top of a bag, which I think will be cool to see how, how that works out. Um, see if there's a market response from any other people. I know yeah. what foundation they've got a, don't they have a stock that has a little bit wider uh, forend on it? Yeah. There's a couple of them have yeah wider, flatter front, front end on it. I'm shooting the, the Genesis two, which yeah, it's got a, they got a couple of them that have, it has the wider, flatter front, the grip to trigger ratio is a little, is closer. They just come out with one that, that's real close and real vertical, like a, like a chassis, like if you like that grip. So they try to keep up, trying to keep up as well. And like, like you said, MPA, I, right when I got mine, those barricade blocks were real big and I didn't ever end up getting them. But I think a lot of people used them on barricade. Like if you're on your home range and you knew exactly what hole that little mountain needed to be mounting in, it was your golden. You just went up there, you threw it down and it was solid. Um, I know. I think they, they come out too when, you started seeing a lot of cattle gates yeah, and you can get those things real narrow and on those cattle gates and it'd be rock solid. But yeah, like you said, I think just people have adapted to, to using a bag now. So you don't, you don't see them nearly as often, but they're always coming up with something. They come out with the, the brass catcher, which is real handy. I've seen a couple guys talking about, they loved them and other guys talking about they couldn't quite get them set up perfect, but. I mean, just a brass catcher, so you're not hunting around for your brass. Works around your your scope and everything else. I like so that yeah. the uh, they've got that uh, mag adjustable mag release. Uh, the the adjustable mag release. Yeah, that goes up and down, cool. so you can adjust how much yeah. your bolt is hitting is picking up on that round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because especially if you're uh, running from a AICS to an AW mag, sometimes that actually will make a difference. I'm surprised like no one else has picked up on that. But yeah. uh, I mean, I just run AICS mags exclusively. Same here. I think it's made a big difference too with guys running a, the three lug actions with that bottom lug. Yeah. 
some people were making contact with. I, I talked to one of the local gunsmiths around here, and before that had come out, said one of their fixes they'd take that mag that mag release out and actually like spot weld on top of it, and then yeah, grind yeah. it grind and it grind down, it down. To, get, to get the right height, you know. But obviously, MPA makes it a little easier. You just buy that mag catch, and you can adjust it. Right. So yeah, like you're saying, they they stay on top of it. They got a lot of cool videos out. They've got a new, in fact, they've got a new stock out now, but a lot of the parts, like you said, interchange. I mean, the grips are different. They got a different like adjustable thumb shelf and stuff like that. But a lot of the stuff just goes back and forth. Yeah, and they, they've had quite a few different designs on um, their bag riders too, which I, I, I just think it's really cool that they go. I think they're one of the chassis systems that, you'll see the most amount of variability compared to anybody else. You know, there's quite a few people that run theirs the same way, but the amount of options that that, that MPA offers is probably, they're definitely on the high end of the amount of options you have for, for your, your chassis, you know, even their, their weight system, they've got that spigot mount and, and they did a cool, they did theirs pretty cool. Cause on, I think the newer ones you can either do Arca or flip it over and they got Picatinny on yep. the other side. Um, I don't think anybody else does a system like that. I mean, they just have a bunch of cool accessories that complement their, their good chassis. So, yeah. So you shooting the MDT on your uh, competition rig. What do you like about it? What, why'd you go MDT instead of MPA with, with that? Uh, so a, it looks cool. <laughs> well, yeah, that's I a big like part it. of it. Yeah, I like the extended uh, forearm on the uh, MDT ACC. Yeah, that thing, they are long. They're really long, and it. Oh, so you could make an argument maybe it's too long, but all that real estate is is really nice to have, especially um, I like to run my weights, so my rifle is really front-heavy, like uh, probably four inches to six inches. Uh, past the front end of the action is where I, I like my center of gravity because um, that allows me on a, a medium game changer if I were to take a medium game changer and lay it flat on a table that gets the center of gravity like right in the middle of the medium game changer I was going to say that and should then, be about perfect for a bag yeah and then if you're running on a barricade I actually like to get a little bit of the weight forward on it and just in my opinion, it helps me mitigate some of the recoil on the front end. Um, I used to run a uh, Desert Tech SRS at matches, and that thing was really rear heavy. Um, so it's like you can get it to balance, but uh, it always have like a, a rear bias on it. And from shooting that Desert Tech SRS and then shooting a chassis that's a little bit front heavy i definitely like the it being a little front heavy uh, a little bit more for sure so yeah i like the uh the long forend and then the the weight system on it you know that's really cool because it allows you to pretty much tune it to whatever you want you know if you want to have a relatively light chassis you can run it without out the weights um, but you know whenever i pick up gear i'm I'm not sure how I want it configured. So always having the option in the future to change it is nice. Uh, they run the, on the fore end, I like that they have the M-lock slots on there. 
because MLOC is a pretty universal system. So maybe you want to run a swivel or maybe you want to run additional weights or you want to run something else, you know, having that option in the future is always nice, even if you're not going to have it. But on my setup, I run about, I run the three weights underneath the barrel and then three sets of weights along the, the forend. So I really like that about the MDT. One of the things that differ from the MDT and the MPA that I, I like a little bit more on the MDT is the uh, vertical mag well protector. And that just lets me, if in some, some cases, if I really need to put some weight up against the, the mag well with it being more vertical, it puts less strain on, on the mag. Which, yeah, it's uh, vertical and is it, isn't it longer, a little bit longer? It's a little bit longer. Um, I'd have to bust out some tools to measure it to really get it. But the the MPA is almost like a wedge. Yeah. So if is, you yeah. go to load into it, since it's like a wedge, it, it if you're on a bag, it almost wants to ride up the bag a little bit. And then uh, as it rides up the bag, you know, you're pushing more directly on the bottom of the magazine. So you got a little bit of leverage that sometimes works against you on it. I don't know how much that matters on a savage. It matters <laughs> Yeah. on a savage. Uh, you know, it's not a custom action or anything like that. So I'm not expecting a lot of performance. So if I load into <clears throat> my bag with the savage, it binds and uh, the mags don't feed right, et cetera, et cetera. On the, the MPA, I can virtually put all my body weight leaning forward on it and it, it works just fine. And a lot of it is probably contributed to the action too. You know, the impact 737 R, which is cut for an AICS mag in particular from the get go, you know, yeah. I could, I could pretty much stand on the rifle and probably barrel my weight on the, the mag well and still run the action action just fine. Um, I also liked the MPA not the MPA, I'm sorry, the MDTs, all these three-letter three letter initials. <laughs> the MDTs, uh, way that they were making the grips on there, because it does have the option to use a standard AR tang, but then they came out with a, a vertical grip system that has like a tang that sticks out underneath it, and you essentially put uh, the new grips on there. They're, they're almost like clamshells that go around that, that post. So for me, I 3D print a lot of stuff. So it makes the reason I really like it, it just makes it so much easier for me to design something that just attaches to that tang rather than trying to design something that works to the AR-15 uh, mounting spot. So right. yeah, I like yeah. The, the grip on it quite a bit. Um, I really don't have too many complaints about the, the MDTs actually. Um, Do you run a, is it a real vertical grip? Yeah. So the grip that I, I, I 3d printed one and I've got about probably 15 different grips that I've tried. Um, and I took some cues actually from MPA on the MPAs. I really like that. Uh, I don't know what you call it, but on the grip, where your finger wraps around the grip to meet the trigger. It's got almost like a, yeah, where a it bumps out. Kind it of bumps out. Knuckle. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it pushes your finger out a little bit and that forces you most for most hands to get on the trigger just just perfect. So I took that cue from MPA and then I incorporated it into the grips that I designed. And I tried everything. I tried from a skinny grip to a very lo long reach from, let's say, the, the palm swell to the trigger. I tried an exaggerated uh, distance and I tried a really close distance. I tried one where it was practically flush. So where the trigger and the, um, the front parts of your, your grip were almost flush. Oh, really? Yeah, I tried uh, super wide. I tried super narrow. I even tried one that was, uh, let's call it a reverse camber. So, you know, you've got your traditional AR-15, which is slightly forward. And then you got your vertical grips that you see. I even tried one with about 15 or 20 degrees of reverse camber on there just to see what it would feel like. Uh, and I settled on, on the, the vertical and then I've got a, it's wider and it's got a pretty short distance from the trigger to the, the front part of the grip there. So, um, and, and that's all been possible to, you know, I could prototype something real easy and throw it on, onto, uh, throw it onto the, the chassis real easy. Yeah. 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 I Get my daughter in this. I mentioned the last time she's doing this engineering and 3D printing. I have to. She gets tech savvy enough. I have to buy her, buy her in air quotes a, a 3D yeah. printer. <laughs> You're such a good dad. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> dad, why so, am I printing gun stuff all the time? I can't bring it to school. <laughs> you know? So maybe maybe I can get that to work a little bit for me. We'll see. Yeah. But. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I didn't have any. I'm with the shooting the foundation now. Didn't have any problems with the MPA. So what? Like, what made? Was it curiosity or uh, reputation, so, or you try someone out? Yeah, a little, little bit of all. Of it. So I was always curious about the guy saying that the the micarta, the foundation, deadened the shot. In fact, to begin with, I was kind of a naysayer, obviously, and I'd never shot one. So I was just like, no, there, there ain't no way that deadens the shot. These guns are, you know, 15 to 20 some pounds. There's no deadening need to be done. And then I can't remember if I I shot Chris's or I bought one about the same same time as as Chris and Lo and behold, I got it. I got it here. Got it all set up. In fact, I contacted John Kyle that owns Foundation, and he's a lefty as well. Hit him up, and he didn't have any lefties in stock. So I got to searching around, and and Tate at Impact had the left-handed MG2 that I was looking for. Um, the color I was looking for, because obviously that's part of. It. I'm not gonna shoot something that I think is ugly or whatever. Just like anything else. And I got it, ended up dry firing it here at the house, and it was no kidding. Just dry firing, I could tell the difference. And I'm not much of an engineer, but me personally, I think with that that MPA, 
it was just aluminum on aluminum or aluminum on metal, metal on metal contact. And I'd pull the trigger, just the trigger going off would give me a little bit of a shake or a little bump, just the trigger dropping. And I put it in that foundation and it was the most steady as far as my reticle staying on target. I had the little DFAT system. So I, I just do it right here in the house. And there were actually just no movement whatsoever, like no bounce, no nothing. So I started believing that a little bit. And then once I got it out to the range and I've got, once I got that night force, now I have the Zico. I can, I've never been able to shoot and watch my own trace. I didn't really ever have a problem picking up impacts or misses or, you know, splash or anything like that. So I don't know. I can't say for sure, contribute that to the glass or to the foundation itself. I think the the mixture of the two helped out, but it feels good. That's my, my first and only stock per se. I had, like I said, I had that MPA and then I bought a, another MPA at the time. I've sold both of them since, but that was my first traditional stock. So there's, yeah, so you're not still, the first person that I've heard talk about that uh, mitigated, we'll call it uh site picture hop, whatever you want to call it. Recoil yeah. input. I mean, it's a firing pin and it's, it's vibration, but you're not the only person that I've heard to say that that, that has been reduced when they switch from a chassis to that foundation. Yeah, and see, I can't, I can't compare it to a McMillan or a Manners because I've never owned one. So even the like the MDT, like I just went with MPA because that's what Beamer had. That's the first thing I'd shot. I loved it. Loved the modularity of it. So obviously, like we talked about, there's trade-offs. So the foundation comes in a light or a standard weight. I got the standard, which is the heavier of the two, and I still put weights in it. I bought a, a weight kit from a guy off the off sniper's hide that makes them. And in the fore in the forearm or forend of the foundation, he cuts. Um, I don't know. I imagine it's save weight or structure or whatever, but he cuts little pieces out, <clears throat> and these weights Are stick they right like down in there. Honeycomb shape. Holes? Yeah, it's like a yeah, exactly like a honeycomb shape on the inside of it. And these weights come just perfectly fit in there. Now you've got to um, epoxy them or hot glue them in there. I hot glued mine. I think Chris epoxied his in. And they come with a little screw hole that you can use to put a screw in there to, to pull it out. Or you could heat it up and pull it out, I guess. But So there are there are some trade-offs. I end up putting my weight in there. And same with you. I think mine's like four or five inches in front of the magwell is about the balance point. And it sits perfect on medium i just i've taken pictures and i i can set it on there shoot and i can just leave it on there and and take pictures like it's not going anywhere i can leave the gun sit there here at the house or out at the range did so you get uh did you get the specs on how much that weight system weighs i i weighed my my gun right now that was with the with the razor scope on there and that's a little bit heavier but anyway it was like right at 20 to 21 pounds. And I, I left, I think four of those little weights out the four closest 
to the magwell i left out but i think that's still like 10 of them in there or 12 of them in it so i mean it's it's not light by any means i'm not taking it out hunting i'm not doing any of that I, I used to shoot my uh, MPA. I think it was right around 28 and a half or 29 pounds with bipod and all. Dang, really? Uh, and it was when you're on a, a barricade, it's great to shoot, but it sucks to move when it's that heavy. Yeah. 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 And I was, get, I was getting to the point where uh, it was so heavy that I was losing time on the clock, like trying to get the, the rifle picked up. And then depending on the shape of the, the prop you know if you've got to feed the the barrel and the forearm down into a a little slit sometimes and it weighs that that much and you got to keep doing it and keep doing it it would it would slow me down pretty good that heavy so right now i've settled on mine i'm at uh like 23 and a half pounds right now and i could probably still stand to go a little bit lighter but i mean it's working kind of like i want it to so i don't really want to make any adjustments on it yeah, yeah. See, I think right now it's about it's heavy enough that it mitigates recoil real well. But I think, like you're saying, if I get much heavier, I think it's going to start slowing me down. Because we, they're starting to get to where we shoot some matches now that you're shooting one target, but ten different positions. Like you're shooting go, shooting go, shooting go, or you're yeah. shooting you know five different positions at the same target. So. A, and that's kind of that maybe that's one of those reasons too like um so we're talking about how devices have progressed a little bit with chassis design and stuff and uh you know when i first started two and a half minutes was not uncommon for a stage like two and a half minutes was you can ex if you heard two and a half minutes for a stage you wouldn't freak out about it and then when you heard 90 seconds you're like okay this is going to be a fast stage anymore 90 seconds is a pretty standard standard amount of time for a stage you know so and that's kind of caused people to adjust their gear accordingly right like at one point a lot of people were running barricade blocks and stuff but if you get in trouble with barricade blocks it's going to eat up a lot of time so i think a lot of people getting good with bags in general uh has been able to get them to you know get their their times down because I think nowadays, and you're just talking a matter of two years, that the times have gotten pretty sporty on stages, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that's like, I think that's just like what we were talking about, the progression. Like, match director's got to do something to keep, you know, to keep it moving. Because yeah. You listen to some of these podcasts, like the JTAC podcast. I listen to those guys, and Austin and Tate, and those guys have been shooting quite a while. They, they talk about back when they started – well, they were starting even before the, the bags. They're shooting the barricade. And they were happy if they got a six or a seven out of eight. Well, now those guys are there's guys shooting cleaning it eight in 30 seconds, 35 seconds. So it's just I think it's the progressive between the the MDs are trying to make stuff sporty and actually speeding it up for people that have, you know, heavy bag or heavy heavy guns or whatever, like you got to, there's a give and a take. So you got to yeah, figure out what, what There's only so many things that MD can do to control the variables and time is definitely one of them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the last, uh, 
uh, was RO for the Punisher, and that's that was one of them. My my stage on the Punisher was the moving target, so it was one target, but it was the mover, and it was five different positions. You started out like a, a modified prone off a bench, standing up, but bent over the bench. In ninety seconds, you had two shots there, and then you had to go choose four different windows inside the Connex box. So, like you're talking about. You're shoving your gun through a window, pulling it back out. And there were plenty of people that got four, five, six shots off. There were still some guys that end up cleaning it. So, I mean, they were moving. Right. Yeah, they, I remember the, the number one advice that I was given when I first started this, and I, I give it to people when they come out, is I tell them don't worry about the time. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, especially at a local match, you know, take the shots that you, you know you're going to make don't worry about the time and, and do your best. Uh, but now with 90 seconds, like that's a, that's a much bigger learning curve to somebody that's brand new. That's, that's jumping into this with the, the shortened part times. Like it definitely makes it more difficult, but I would say as a community, like everyone's risen to the challenge pretty well. Like yeah, they you were saying like dr- getting six on a stage a couple of few years ago, wasn't that bad, but now you get six and it's like, man, you messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Especially when I can't remember what his name is. He shoots for the deep South tactical team and he was at the Punisher. He he won the, the night force sponsors, the, the uh, barricade and he won it at the Punisher and he won it at the finale. I owed both of those. And he's obviously cleaning it and shooting at the fat and like, 35 seconds, 40 seconds. This guy is cleaning the barricades. I mean, it's, it can be done. He's obviously got his gear figured out and the MDs aren't working him very hard, but yeah, from just five or six years ago where people were happy to get a seven and just drop one. Now they're, they're cleaning it in 40, 45 seconds. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah, times, times change, but all right, so let's see. We've talked stocks. Let's talk actions. We're both shooting the impacts. How my story is a little different than everybody else's, I think. But how'd you how'd you become an impact shooter? So uh, I think I talked about a little bit about my rifle pathway, if you will, on one of the older episodes. But uh, we'll do the cliff notes real quick. Um, starting with we'll we'll say my very first either custom level or high-end rifle, which was a Desert Tech SRS, which is a very unconventional rifle for this stuff. Um, 60-degree bolt throw. And I was like, okay, I need to get uh, a more traditional footprint to to start doing better at these. So then I got onto a deadline ultimatum action, uh, which is technically a 700, Remington 700-foot footprint. And... I was looking to build my next rifle and everyone was talking about the 737Rs and how reliable they are, how smooth they are. And I was like, "Um, okay, well, let's try it out. So I ended up getting the 737R and as far as like performance and stuff like that, I'm not going to get into the history of all the rifles that I've owned and stuff like that, but every single one of the actions that I've had in the past has given me problems in in one form or another 
except for this impact. The impact is pretty well renowned for their reliability. Um, and uh, I, I completely, it holds true with me as far as reliability. Um, there have been, I went out a few weekends ago when it was really windy and dusty with my impact and a couple other actions and the dust was getting, you know, I brought my, that savage that I was talking about earlier with me. It literally was getting to the point where I could not run the bolt. Even if I would uh, take a cloth to the bolt real quick, I'd get like three rounds out of it and then it would lock up. So it was really dusty, but that impact did not skip a single beat. You know, I was like, yeah, I've always been impressed with the reliability, but it got to when I, I was getting to a point where I literally couldn't shoot one of my rifles, even though I was maintaining it periodically, like not even periodically, like per stage of practice. And the impact was not skipping a single beat. I was, I was really impressed with it. So I mainly bought it because a lot of my uh, people that I shoot with and stuff were talking about how good this action was, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, and I completely agree with them. I think the only the only negative that I have with the impact is I wish they had more options. <laughs> yeah. and, but sometimes sometimes uh, that's a uh, I guess counter counter to what a lot of people want. Like if you compare a 737R to a company like Defiance, they've got so many actions and so many flavors, and uh, you can get them in so many different ways. But I don't think that's their business model. They didn't intend to 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 pursue the market that way. Uh, you know, you can, I think the only option you can really get it is uh, AICS or AW cut. And most people get an AICS cut anyway. Yeah. And I think you can get the different tr trigger hangers on there, which I guess technically is an option. Um, I remember when I was talking about the, I was trying to select a trigger for, for the action and uh, it might have been the owner of the company. I sent the email just asking him what trigger hanger I should run. Uh, so with the Bixen Andy Taxport 2, he said, run a zero. Don't think about it twice. I ended up buying the full set of trigger hangers anyway out of curiosity to see if it would change how the action operated at all. And it really didn't make it it made a little bit of a difference, like to the point where you, you would notice it if you looked for it. Um, but when you run a shorter trigger hanger, you get less firing tr pin travel. And then you run, run the risk of either A, not getting ignition at all, or B, maybe you get inconsistent ignition, which probably means you get inconsistent velocities. So I just switched it back to that uh, zero that comes stock with the action. And I've never had a single problem with it ever, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and then the, I think the other reason I bought it is um, barrels. I wish I wish action companies would just come out with a universal tenon. <laughs> yeah. Like it didn't matter if it was an impact or whatever other company, you can just buy a dang barrel with a universal fit and it would headspace correctly every time. That'd be awesome. But that doesn't exist, but I, I think that Impact probably has the most prevalent amount of barrels available on the market. 
And that, that was definitely a consideration because I, I really didn't want to send my action into a gunsmith. And I want to always be able to get a barrel, you know, from someone somewhere just because uh, it, it, sometimes you shoot a barrel out and you, you maybe you forgot to get an extra barrel or you were just trying to, you didn't think it was as far gone as you thought it was sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I just keep two barrels on, on hand now, but when I was first buying it, I was like, uh, I just want that capability to get a, a new barrel from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You hardly any, if anybody's doing shouldered barrels now and they don't have impact on their list, they're missing out. Like you can't hardly find anybody that, that doesn't have offer short shouldered barrels that have impact or ready to buy them off the shelf. But yeah, mine is a, mine's a little different story how I got to impact. So I've, I had the Savage. I've talked about the Savage that I had when I first started, bought it, got into it, sold it right when, so little, uh, morning, um, none, none of these companies I had any issues with as far as customer service or, or anything like that. So get that out of the way. Um, so I started with that Savage, sold it right when, um, oh, who was it? The John Hancock rifles came out from, um, Patriot Valley Arms. Patriot Valley announced the John Hancock rifles and they were going to do them left-handed. So that, that was one of my big hangups was trying to find something left-handed. So I pre-ordered with them and got on the list, which I knew it was going to be six, seven months. Because that's what they told me when I pre-ordered, which I was good with. Put my deposit down. I think it was a $250 deposit. Put that down. That was non-refundable, which at the time wasn't an issue. Well, then uh, their supplier for the actions started running into some some issue trigger. I think it was uh, um, firing pin springs were too light. And then the left-handed versions took a, quite a bit longer than they had thought. So my six to seven months ended up coming up on like a year. And I was calling every once in a while asking them and they're telling, you know, still having issues, don't have our supply, don't have this or that in. Asked about getting my money back. Obviously, I knew at the beginning it wasn't, it was non-refundable, but I also thought it was six months instead of a year. Well, anyway, they, they end up basically taking my uh, deposit and I could use it for basically store credit. So I ended up getting some um, magazine kits and I think a uh, muzzle brake from them and basically just wash my hands of that. So right about that time, so now I'm a year in without a rifle at all because I had sold my Savage to fund the uh, John Hancock. So about a year in, I had some ARs that I was shooting and stuff like that. But um, Curtis came out saying they were going to start building left-handed actions. So I got on their list. I didn't have to put a deposit, got on their list. Um supposed to be out at a certain time i can't even remember now didn't come out i'd call they'd give me the oh it's they're going to be ready in two weeks i'd call a month later 
the exact same thing. They're going to be ready in two weeks. So luckily I didn't put any deposit down there, washed my hands of that. And kind of like you, I just looked at what everybody was shooting around here. I asked a couple of the gunsmiths around here, some of the guys that shoot at the pro level, national level stuff, and they were all running impacts. And then, of course, I look at the price. I was like, holy cow, you know, that from going from the John Hancock, which I was going to spend about two grand on the whole rifle, to $1,300, $1,400 for an impact. That scared me a little bit. But now I'm like a year and a half into no rifle, still trying to get one. That 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 price tag is looking pretty good for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it come back to. If I would have just done that a year and a half ago, at the time, I'd have been shooting for the last year at least. You know, because it took it took a little bit to to get on the pre order and for them to get the lefties out. But by that time, I and I end up actually talking to. I ro'd some matches. I talked to Tate. He's in Oklahoma, so it's semi local i've emailed and i've called down there to impact and tate answers the phone or tate's the one that emails me back like customer service was top notch and like i said it's some somewhat local so i end up buying buying my first one never had any issues build it built all my rifles on it now now i actually i've got three of them now and i i wouldn't look back now i wish Looking back now, I wish I would have just went that route to begin with because I would have been shooting like a year and a half earlier than when I finally got started into it. Who's the price tag? Like I said, the price tag scared me at first, but absolutely no issues. I've seen the only issue I've ever seen with an impact, none of mine have had any issues, is that one of our matches, one of the guys running the impact broke, broke his firing pin. The tip of it broke off. But the good, the other good thing about it is someone had a spare. I don't know if they had a spare bolt. I think they had a whole spare bolt they were carrying with them that was shooting an impact. He threw that bolt in. His gun run like it was his bolt that's been in there for however long. Yeah, I guess so. if you really, really got in a bind, uh, odds are there's going to be. I mean, half the the matches I go to, uh, it wouldn't be uncommon in a group of ten shooters to see eight. 737 R's there, you know. So if it really came down to it, this community, I'm sure someone would just uh, take their firing pin out of their bolt and let you run it per stage, sort of thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like uh, like you said, like they Tate doesn't offer much options. Which look at that, good or bad. Like he's obviously a shooter; he knows what works. That's how. That's kind of why they his whole company came about. But like some of the some of the actions you get different bolt heads, like we were kind of talking about it earlier. If you want a different, an impact to shoot a 223 or shoot a, a 6.5 PRC, then you're buying a whole bolt because it's all one piece. So I'm sure he's got his reasons. I, I try and get him on here. He's got his own podcast now. But try and get him on here because Tate's really, there's no frills. Like he'll, he'll just tell you why he does what he does and love it or leave it one or the other. So I'm sure he's got his reasons. Obviously, I don't have any issues with it. That thing's been a dream for me. But that's kind of how I got onto the impact. There's some other little little stuff in there that won't get into. But <clears throat> basically, it was my third company trying to get get what I wanted and didn't have any issues. In fact, Gunsmith built it 
while I was in the desert. I come back, shot the finale finally that year with, with my brand new gun, MPA at the time, and, and absolutely loved it. So I won't, I'm really not shopping for any, I'm not shopping for any more actions at all, but let alone any other companies, just because yeah. I've had absolutely no issues. I did a video with uh, Chad Temish probably a little bit over a year ago where we compared a, a bunch of actions and we, we, we took the subjective side of the action. So we didn't really focus on the spec sheets, if you will. What we did is we had a Remington 700 long action because that's all we had at the time. And we compared each action against the seven uh, Remington 700 stock action sort of thing. And we were, we described the, we're trying to, as we're going through the video, describe how we thought the bolt lift was, the bolt throw, and the bolt close. Just, just because, you know, you do all this reading. I troll the sniper's hide and all the forms and all that good stuff. And you, everyone could read a spec sheet sort of thing. Um, but trying to get the subjective, how does the bolt feel sort of thing, uh, documented or archived whatever you want to call it sort of thing and uh when it came we, we did what actions did we do we did the deadline ultimatum we threw the desert tech in there just because uh we did a defiance i forgot which defiance chad had at the time we had the deadline ultimatum in there we did not have a, a big horn i wish we would have had like a tl3 or, or an origin in there, but we, we, we didn't at the time. So, but the, it's kind of hard to describe the, the, how the action runs on a 737R because it is not sloppy, but it's not overly tight. It's got, you know, when you run the bolt, it's got the right amount of slop in it. I don't want to even call it slop. It's got the right amount of tolerance in there where you can run that action and dust dust doesn't build up in it and it it feels like it's glass all every single time you run it I, I really like that you know yeah 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 I think like you say you got just enough tolerance it's like for me to bind that savage that I had if I didn't push that thing straight forward and pull it straight back like I had to consciously think about it it would bind up like if I put a little bit of left pressure, right pressure up or down, it would bind up and slow down on me or even stop. To That was one of the first things I did with this impact. To get it to bind up, I've got to literally put weight into it. Yeah, and you, you almost have to intentionally try to get it to do it. Yeah, so in that video, we actually try to bind each, each action. And so what we kind of subjectively concluded is pretty much if it's a custom action, you're probably not going to bind it unless you're in a really awkward position anyway, or you try to bind it. You know, you can get any action to bind if you really try. Yeah. Um, but when you get to the custom actions, like they run any, any of the custom ones that we, we, we picked up and that I've ever picked up are going to run pretty dang good, you know, anyway. Uh, but I've had the same problem with my savages, you know, uh, where you actually have to consciously, uh, especially when it's dusty, you know, put thought into to manipulating the bolt. But on the customs, you don't really have to think think too much about it. Yeah. I think that's one thing about the customs is 
they're practically all the same price. You know, there's a couple of them that are like eight or $900. And, you know, if anyone comes to me and asks for a recommendation of an action, I don't, I, I think that the price difference between like a $900 action and a, and a, you know, a $1,400 action, there's not enough value really to justify the difference. Uh, well, not justify the difference. You're, yeah. you're pretty close. Like if you're going to buy a custom action, just get the one you want sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that was one of the things I forgot to make. Like when I first started, like I said, Beamers was, he was shooting a Curtis. And I don't know, if, for some reason, I got it in my head that I needed something other than a 90 degree throw. Because I think that John Hancock was like a 70 or 72 degree. And then I went with the Curtis as a 60 degree. For some reason, I had it in my head that I was going to be quicker than a 90 degree of some sort. And now I have no idea because I haven't ever run a left-handed. I think anything. the only real advantage that I've gotten, because I still have my deadline ultimatum, which is a 60 degree. The only objective thing you can really say about 60 degree is that it will clear a scope better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that's that's if if you're concerned about having clearance with your scopes, that that would probably be one of the times where you could justify a 60 over a 90. Um, but, you know, the counter to that is. There's going to be an increased amount of force required to lift and or close the bolt. Exactly. That's what I was going to say that your cock on open or cock on close is going to be harder on your. So, yeah, there's give and take there, too. Yeah, and I, I've had a couple situations when I run the deadline. If you're, say, you're running the on a tank trap, and you know you're on one of the end posts, uh, the RO says you cannot shoot in the middle. You got to shoot on one of those ends. Or if you're shooting on top of a post with a real small surface area, and you've got your bag on it, even with your bag on it, it's still relatively wobbly. With my 60 degree actions, uh, the deadline in particular, which I think it's a 50-50 split. So you get 50% of the uh, bolt lift force on the up. And then when you go to close the bolt, there's another 50%. I've had a couple scenarios because you wait to run your bolt down until you're on target. Well, when you're on target, I go to close the bolt and just that force being on top of such a small area, you know, it takes a couple more seconds once that bolt handle comes down. Whereas on the impact, it's got a little notch in it, but I don't notice the notch. The only time I notice the notch when I go to close it is when I'm like dry firing or not in an actual shooting environment sort of thing. Yeah. So what, what else we got on here? Uh... Oh, one other thing, gear. So my, what are you carrying or what are you using for a backpack? Uh, so I've tried quite a few different things and I keep coming back to uh, Eberly stock. Uh, I think it's the Phantom. Sorry, it's, it's, a, it's a big one. Oh, is it? It's a big one. And I, I bought it because it had the rifle sheath in it. Yeah. So you can put the rifle in the sheath and then you also have a backpack and I thought that was going to be a, a feature I used all the time. I don't ever use the rifle sheath. So the model that I bought 
I'm able to, you're able to take the rifle sheath off. Thank God. So now I just have <laughs> yeah. a really big ass backpack. <laughs> yeah. That's what... uh, Go ahead. Uh, it, it's too, it's the one that I have is really big. I actually, uh, if I could go back, I might actually end up getting uh, the little brother, which is a little bit smaller of a, of a backpack. My problem is I have a big backpack and I know I carry too much gear, but because I have such a big backpack, I have to fill it up. Like, <laughs> yeah, see, that's, that's the same. That's the same here. I've got basically a hand-me-down, one of my military backpacks. There's not a whole lot of pouches in it. So everything just kind of falls to the bottom. So that's, that's one of the things I'm, I'm going to try and find this year, really pay attention to what people are. I've talked to Chris and Chad and I have talked about this. I really want one and I've got a little, uh, gun backpack like a range backpack for pistols but i want one that stands up instead of like mine right now is all floppy you lay it down and it's not going to stand up it's going to fall forward fall backwards like i said everything falls to the bottom so that's one of the things i'm really going at one time i did carry a photography bag with me that was a sling and it was the right size like it was it's designed for camera gear and it's small enough so it was a it would be sling mounted and i made it work for a while but the only thing i didn't like about it were the pockets because it was designed for photography gear like you can either get in through it from the top or you can get into it from from the side but the the setups that i like in a backpack is when the front opens completely yeah um i don't like picking stuff up through the the like a duffel bag setup where you got to like dig through things to get to the bottom. Yeah. See, that's what I'm dealing with now. I'm really, I'm not digging it. Yeah. It's too much of a hassle. And then the thing you always need is at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I've had some time, like, I can't remember what I was looking for. Maybe my lens cleaner, my little lens. I got this. Well, it's a photography deal that you squeeze and it blasts air. Yeah. Bulb. And, yeah. A little bulb. Yeah. And it was all the way at the bottom under my ammo. Like, I don't even know how it got there. I, I thought I had forgot it or lost it. Yeah, everything just ends up on the bottom that I'm looking for, and everything's piled on top of it. I need to, I need to get a better, better bag. So if anybody's got any uh, suggestions, I want, and I want, I would like something that sits up that I can get to from the front, like you said, or I guess from the top if it's got different compartments or whatever, but then I don't want to get so many compartments that I'm bringing absolutely all sorts of stuff I don't need, which I already do. I, I think that's kind of everybody's. I got something for every situation and then half the stuff that situation never comes up. I've gone through quite a few bags to get where I'm at now. And even though this one is too big, I, I still, that's the one I take because I don't forget anything. You know? Yeah. Um, and I'm still young and spry, so I can I can pick it up and move it around. Um, but the couple things that I do look for when I'm I'm looking for a backpack, if you will, is a the just the one big access panel in the front, and I only want one large compartment because there have been so many times where I'm digging through different uh, compartments, etc. And I think when I'm packing the bag, oh, I'll remember this, I'll remember that. <laughs> no it never works out like that. It just, uh, and then what I do to compartmentalize stuff is, um, for example, I have, uh, little tools, you know, uh, little Allen wrenches and stuff. Yeah. And then I've got another 
bag that has like pens and dope cards and stuff like administrative sort of stuff. And I put those in separate colored bags and they're the same bags that you would get. Like if you went to a bank. Uh, to oh yeah, yeah. Like the money bags, the money bags. Yeah. And I, they're different colors. And I just remember like yellow is a common construction color. Like if you see yellow, it's going to be a construction site. So that's where my tools are at. Oh, there sort you of go. Thing. Yeah. Um, so they're different colors that I can see. I don't need a, I don't need to read a label or anything like that. And I've only got three of those, those little packs. So one of them is for brass, which is black. And then uh, the blue one's got my, my dope on there. So it's no matter where, as long as I got that front large compartment open, I can immediately see, okay, my, I need my tools. I grab my tools sort of thing. Yeah, I might have to look into something like that. I got, I got to figure something out. But like I said, it's just sloppy right now. So, trying to refine, refine my backpack and my, my pack out my gear. Yeah, the Everly stocks. Uh, I've had that Everly stock now for three years, and it. I would say it's over-engineered, just because how tough it is. But it, it's never. I haven't ripped anything. I haven't frayed anything on it. And I've, I've more than abused it. You know, I've taken it and put it, slid it inside and outside of a truck bed hundreds of times, you know, just grab my gear and it hasn't even rasped any of the fabric or anything. It looks just as good as when I bought it. Yeah. So they're, they're well-made for sure. Is it a little heavy? Yeah, it's a little heavy, but they didn't design it to be a, a lightweight bag in the first place. Right. I have to look them up. I've I've heard nothing but good stock, good things about Everly stock, but I just never had looked into them. So I got to figure something out. So let's see what else. What other gear, gear stuff we got to go? Oh, we we can talk gear all day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, try, fact, what are you using for a tripod? For a tripod, I got a Leo Photo. Is that how you say that? Leo Photo. Yeah. Yeah, Leo. I can't remember which. 346 or 446 not the gigantic gigantic one but decent sized one carbon you know the carbon fiber style yeah uh, i think if someone's getting into it i've seen a lot of people that pick up the tripods that are a little bit lighter weight like the uh someone might pick up like a manfredo or something like that yeah and they always end up getting either a really right stuff or they go for when the, the leaf photos are really nice. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's why I picked it. It's, it's not as light as a really right stuff, but it's what half the price or even a quarter of the price. Yeah. Some of the really right stuff. So I'll, I'll take an extra pound do, or whatever. do you run a, a ball head or a level head on there? Or right now I've got a level head. And when I first, so when I first started, you actually shot off the tripod. I wouldn't say quite a bit, like one or two stages you'd shoot off a tripod. On well, last year, I don't think I've seen any tripod, actual tripod stages. Now people you might use them for like a rear support or, or something like that. But so I've got the, I use it quite a bit. Uh, well, I have a different tripod, but I use a tripod coyote hunting quite a bit. So we'd stand up and kind of back into trees or bushes. Um, 
So yeah, I got a level head, but I might, I need, I've got that name of that ball head from you. I'm, I'm probably end up trying that out as well. The NRL brand. Yeah. 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 So I was using a level head for quite a bit of time. And I think I had a Monfrotto brand uh, level head. And it, it's super stable. Like if you put a rifle in it, it's the most stable system that I can figure out for a tripod is using a leveling head system. The only problem that I was having when I was panning from left to the right, the screw inside the level head would start to tighten. And it would actually oh, really? start to, yeah, it would actually tighten to the point where it wouldn't bind unnecessarily hard, but, you know, it would increase the tension. And then when I would pan from right to left, it would loosen. Loosen that. Huh. Yeah. And so if you're shooting a stage with a leveling head, you're not panning that far left to right. But if you've got your binoculars on there and you're like looking for, for targets, et cetera, it becomes a nuisance. So and I, I'm in the same scenario where I don't think I believe that a lot of shooting has progressed away from shooting on top of a tripod. So now I use a, a ball head and the ball head, you know, you could traverse quite a bit of quite a bit more with quite a bit more freedom and it doesn't bind up nearly as much. So Yeah. Yeah. And if you're looking for angles, obviously like up and down. So my I'm not sure if you got my leveling head, I I sprung for really right stuff leveling head i can't remember which one but yeah i know a ball head like if you're shooting obviously aren't doing around kansas or oklahoma but if you're shooting mountains or elevation your ball head is going to give you a lot more range motion like you had mentioned right. one thing i don't like about my leveling head that really right stuff if it's windy or not windy if it's dusty it'll start to squeak and make noise which i take i can take it right out of the cup and clean it out but along with the squeaking and making noise, it kind of drags huh. or catches. It's not real smooth. That's one thing I've noticed about it. But other than that, I really like, like you said, it, you twist and tighten that dang down. It's, it's locked in. It's not going anywhere. I throw my binoculars on there. I got a really right stuff cinch mount. And like that's That thing's not cheap either. They actually come out with a cheaper model now. But I, I bought one of the first ones. How's that cinch working out for you? No, oh, man, it's great. I do a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot. I, I record quite a bit using a phone scope and my, uh, my phone and my binoculars all as one package. And I was using just a regular mount that mounts. It's kind of like a stick and it mounts to the front of your, your binos, like a vortex mount or whoever makes them. And it mounts in that center mount on the front and it's just not stable is what it comes down to i want once i switch to that cinch mount it can be kansas windy out there and my videos do not move like you can tell a big difference if you just look at my videos and you'd be able to tell which mount i was using on what days and so in fact my, that, that that first mount you had that had it had like a stem yeah exactly it was a vortex stem man in fact we had one match that I shot here locally out at Conway blew my tripod over, of course, on my brand new glass, my Kai Babs that I had on there. And the only thing it broke was that stem. So once it did that, Vortex sent me a brand new one, but I spent the money, I think it was a hundred bucks or whatever on that cinch. 
and it is rock solid. Like it's the most salt other than I have used. In fact, the rest of that match, I had to, I just threw my bag, my Smedium on top of my tripod and then rest my binos on top of those. And that's, that's probably as stable as I've ever been when you're looking through binos without any wiggle or wind moving it. So your, but, your cinch, it mounts to the front end of the, the bell housing of the binocular, right? It does. It, it's got a strap. It's, I mean, it's pretty minimalistic, really. It's, it's got a, the Arca mount on the bottom, and then it's got a, a strap that goes around it that, that cinches down. Like, you tighten it as tight as you want it, and it, yeah, it mounts around the front bell of either side of your binoculars, whichever side you want to put it on. And it only goes around one, one, uh, one bell housing, right? It doesn't go around both. Correct. Just about just around one. So you choose whichever one, which it really doesn't make a, make a difference. And you don't, so with it being mounted on the front and only on one of the bell housing, does that make it awkward to maneuver or is it pretty neutral? No, I don't have, well, with that leveling head, I just, I mount it. Now, the one thing when I first mounted it, I didn't have it really level. So to get it level and look through it, I had my, the knob on the bottom of my leveling head was all canned off to the side. And I ran out of, I ran out of level, I guess you would call it or movement because I didn't have it mounted. So I had to remount it a couple times to get it somewhat level in the mount. And then since then I haven't ever had any issues. With so it. you had to readjust it to kind of center it up a little bit. is what you're Correct. Saying? Okay. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I, I've, after you had mentioned it, I kind of looked at them. Uh, I just figured that the way it mounts might be awkward, but if you're saying that they, it works pretty, pretty straightforward. I would think that maybe the vibration will also get cut down just because, you know, it's kind of like when you put a bipod on the far end of a forearm, the further, further you put it forward, you know, less of a fulcrum effect you have. Yeah. So maybe that kind of helps with the way that bino that bino mounts to your tripod yeah it's yeah there's like there's really yeah no there's no height there's no there's nothing for it to even really sway or loosen up it's just mounted as close to the top of your tripod as it can get now the one thing is it's the part of the the sense that's not a strap obviously because the strap will conform to your binos is it comes with a, a certain radius built into the metal piece of it. That doesn't sit perfectly on my binos. And if I to pull my binos off there now, it's probably got a rub mark or I wouldn't say I'd scratch it, but it's probably got a rub mark on there just where you can tell that that radius wasn't perfect. And it's got okay. two points. Yeah. So if that bothers someone that might steer you away from it, but mine's once I got mine leveled and, and mounted in there, right. I have never taken it off. I, that's another thing. I can pull my binos off and I can put them in my backpack. It's not hanging up on anything. That is pretty nice. Yeah. I it's, didn't think about that. It's pretty, yeah, it's so extremely I, low profile. I 3d printed a mount for my Kaibabs. And when I designed them, I designed them not only a for, you know, the, the dimensions of the bell housing, but you can adjust the, the pupillary distance between them. So I designed mine so that they were perfect for me. And I thought it'd be really cool, but you know, if you go to the range with your buddies and they don't have the same uh, pupillary distance, oh, and they're yeah. not using your your bi, your, they're not using the system that I I brought. You know, 
they could use right. it as a monocular or something like that. And then it added quite a bit of bulk. Like it kind of sounds creepy, but all this stuff kind of adds up. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, I still have it, but I just don't use the, the, the bino mount that I made via 3d printing. And right now yeah. I think I'm going to settle on just putting it on top of a, uh, a gamer bag and matches. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that's the most solid I've ever been. Like I've seen some of the big time. In fact, Tate, we were talking about Tate. He does it that way. He puts it just on top of a bag, which is good until you've got to go shoot. Like you got to either take in your bag or you're carrying an extra bag. You just don't want your binos blowing off the top of them or someone walking by and bumping your tripod. Right. I bet I could send you some pictures of this cinch. I bet you could make one pretty, pretty quick and pretty easy. Yeah, I might try it out. <laughs> Using your 3D print, I'll send you some pictures of it. I bet you could you could whip something out if you got a strap of some sort to put on there. You could you could knock it out. I bet. Yeah, I'm just thinking about using a luggage strap. Yeah, I mean, just something you can somehow you can tighten. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the little fancy strap they've got. Right. But yeah, I bet you could come up with something. But all right, let's see. We've been into this thing about oh, a little over an hour now. You got any okay. shout outs or you got any, any other gear stuff you want to talk? Oh, well, we can save that for another episode. Uh, shout outs. I don't ever come prepared for shout outs. You go uh, first and then let me think. <laughs> all right. So um, let's see. Chris, I mentioned Chris. I'm going to tag him on here. He, the, the foundation kind of got me revved up about those. I'm glad he did really like them. Tate at, at impact. Like I said, he had the foundation I was looking for, but nothing but great customer service. Finally, my, my third time at a, at trying to get an action to get a build made was, was the ticket. Uh, who else would cover MPA? Haven't had any issues with them. John Kyle foundation has been great. In fact, probably going to get a hold of him and get a second one ordered just so I have a backup and then I'll be done hemorrhaging money so far. I keep telling myself. Uh, what else? Chad. Always send a shout out to Chad. In fact, we got some some stuff lined up. We're going to try and do some videos here. Won't let the cat out of the bag yet, but we're going to try and do some comparison, some videos on some gear. That'll be pretty neat. That's all I got, I think. I second everything you said. <laughs> well, there you go. See? Yeah, we, yeah we're all kind of shooting all around the same folks you know the same folks so yeah well all right mike i appreciate it get this thing get this thing loaded up here this week sometime all right man give you a shout out all right thanks bud talk to you later all right bye